Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, real quick before we get started, just a reminder, obviously it's summer, and so with summer comes lots of people traveling, lots of people going on vacations. Um, and so one of the things that we want to remind you of is while you're gone on vacation, don't forget Life Online. It's a great way to be able to stay connected, a great way to be able to stay up with um, what's happening, and a great way that maybe if you're on vacation with somebody who doesn't have a church home, an opportunity for them to uh, watch church with with you and participate in that. So with that, welcome to all of those who are joining us online. I'm still amazed. Every week I'll get uh, text messages or messages from people that be like, hey, you know, we're really enjoyed the series that you're watching. And they're not even from Huntington. They're from, you know, all over the place. And so it's really cool to see that not only is it reaching our community, but it's also reaching uh, outside of our community with that uh, online. So we are in a series, if you weren't here last week, one of the things that I always challenge you with is if you didn't hear uh, last week's message, you need to go back and listen to it because as we talk this week about this idea of unshakable faith, we built a foundation last week. And so uh, if you didn't hear or know what that foundation is, it's good to be able to go back because when we talk today about what we're going to be discussing, sometimes it might not make sense if you don't understand the foundation. So... Unshakable faith starts with this idea or this concept. For me, it was looking at people in life that had more than just words to their faith or more than just attending church. I would look at people and I would say, wow, there's somebody that like actually does what it says, you know, and they go out and they live by faith and they do things that I was amazed by. And I thought, well, there just must be two separate people inside of the Christian world. The people that attend church, read the Bible, go to Sunday school, learn more about Scripture, but never really take any chances and never do. And then there are the people that, you know, do what God calls them to do. But we're all kind of lumped together, and, you know, God kind of sees it on both sides. And some of us can just sit around and do nothing, and some of us can live by faith. But at the end of the day, it's all okay, right? But if you read Scripture, it's really not, right? For Scripture calls every Christian to have this idea of unshakable faith, Right? A faith that when life happens, which if you haven't experienced it, you will at some point, that when life happens, your faith or your belief will be grounded in something. And so last week we started with this, which is the foundation. So having faith means that you have faith in an object, right? So having faith isn't just optimism, right? So it's not just words out of our mouth that would say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm hoping for, I'm dreaming about, it's faith is actually having a object to have faith in. And we used the illustration last week to say, I can have all the hope and optimism in the world that I can make it to work the next day, but if I don't have a truck to be able to get there or a vehicle to be able to get there, an object that's going to help me accomplish my hope and optimism, it's really not faith at all. It's just hope and optimism, right? So the object of the Christian faith, this is what we said last week, is Jesus, right? And it has to be our anchor, right? And we said, you know, when you read Scripture, there's only two times in Scripture that, that Jesus is amazed. The first time, right, is amazing faith, and the second time is not having any faith. The two things that amazed him, people who had amazing faith and people who had no faith at all. And so then, or said that they had faith but didn't really live it out. So inside of that, last week we said, so when was he amazed? And so we looked at the faith of the centurion, right? 
the centurion soldier comes up to Jesus and says, I want you to heal, you know, uh, uh, somebody in my family. He says, you don't have to come to my house because I understand who you are, right? That's what he talked about. The centurion understood something that we have to understand if we're going to have great, unshakable faith. Is the centurion had the, had the faith in the object of God, not in the action of God. Right? So his faith wasn't whether or not his uh, person would be healed. The faith was he believed in a God who could heal him. Right? And so he just said that. You don't have to come to my house. You don't have to do, you know, uh, uh, say a certain prayer. We just know that you're God. And if you want to heal him, you will. So his faith was in the object. So for us, we have to have our anchor of faith in an object that will never move because if you put your faith in anything else, at some point your faith will waver because when your anchor doesn't hold, you hear me, right? When your anchor doesn't hold, life gets messy, things don't go the way you think that they're supposed to go and then all of a sudden it starts to move, you start to wonder about your faith. And so what you wanted to be unshakable now is not, right? And your faith is moving. And for many people... This is the sad part. So for many people, when their faith moves, they do a couple different things. They blame God, right, because of life circumstances. Like they put their anchor into something that we all knew was going to move, but when it moved, they're like, God, where are you? Because this isn't the way it was supposed to work. Or they walk away from God. Because at that point, they're believing, well, if I had my anchor in this, and this is what I thought was going to happen, and if it didn't happen and I didn't get what I want, then there must not be a God because their belief in the object of faith in God was not correct. So here's what we're going to do today. So today we're going to talk about these five practical things. So it's going to be the next five weeks, you know, these five catalysts of faith. So what we said that for us to have great faith, there has to be these catalysts, like things that grow our faith. Because in the United States of America, you're not going to naturally have to have faith, right? So you're not going to have to worry about whether you go to church Most of the time, you don't have to worry about food on the table. Most of the time, you don't have to worry about persecution and death. You don't have to worry about your kids being abducted because of your faith. So in the United States of America, we say, like, there's these catalysts, though, that if we follow these catalysts, our faith can grow and we can have this authentic faith. So we're going to start that this week. But what goes with that is I've told you guys before, it's always interesting to me that We know things in the real world, like the way that we live, but then when it translates into living it out inside of our Christian faith, doesn't make any sense. Like, we don't translate it over. So we all know this fact, right? It does us no good to have information and believe in something if we don't have any action, right? So you can have all the information in the world that eating brownies at midnight are a bad thing for you, and that if you don't work out, you're going to get fat and, and not, you know, have the body, like, information, we get all of that, we know all of that, right? But you don't wake up the next morning skinny with a six-pack, right? Because you believe that you shouldn't be eating brownies and that you, you know, should be working out. Like, you believing doesn't translate into action, then also doesn't translate into what you want right? We all know that, I mean, you talk to anybody that's struggled with addiction, we all know the cycle of what addiction can cause, right? People who have got addicted can't get out of addictions. We all know that. But that doesn't change somebody from doing drugs, 
right? It doesn't change the action of them being able to do it. They could believe in their heart and their mind that doing drugs or alcohol or whatever your addiction is, you know, looking at pornography, I know that this could become an addiction, but, you know, and I have all the knowledge, but I do it anyway, right? You don't automatically stay out of those things because you believe that they're bad. Or most of us know the financial principles of life, at least I hope, Try not to spend more than what you have, right? Like the financial principles of life. If you don't have it, you probably shouldn't spend it. And, you know, it's funny that when my kids, it's always interesting. So when my kids were getting older, you know, and they, they turn 18, all of a sudden you get all these, they get, they've not, not had mail for 10 years. And then all of a sudden they get mail. You know who they're getting mail from? Discover Card and MasterCard and Visa. Because here's what they know about kids who might understand this principle of, like, I shouldn't spend more than what I have, but I really don't have anything and I really want something. So this sucker's easy, right? You just sign up for it and you swipe it. And at the end of the day, you just have to pay it off, right? That's all you have to do, right? Just pay it off at the end of the month. Well, do you know how well that works? Do you know why they send it to 18-year-old kids? Maybe you were one of those 18-year-old kids, right? You get it, and you spend with it, and it's easy. Then all of a sudden, you're like, holy crap, I didn't think I spent that much. You know what I mean? So we all know the financial principles. We can believe it, and we can understand it, but it doesn't translate into the actions of our life, right? So we know that. So why then, when you go into Scripture, why do we ever believe that believing in Jesus was enough? Now think about this, right? Because I know, and, and I know some of you are out there like, what is he getting ready to say? Because we might have to leave this church after this. But you need to listen to what I'm saying, okay? Because inside of Scripture, Jesus understood this same principle. Believing, having knowledge and information was never enough, right? That's why, and this is what was so fun about our men's group we spent you know, a whole, I don't know how many weeks we did it, but we did this book called Not a Fan, and it was this idea, right? The idea that Jesus never asked anybody to just intellectually believe in who he was. You know what he asked him? To follow me. That's what he said, right? So Jesus in the Gospels, right? In the Gospels of Jesus, he went up to people and he said, Hey, do you want to be a part of this? You know, don't just believe that I'm God, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me, which means that the actions of your life have to support the thing that you're following, right? Like they just have to. Now, here's where I think the church has got um, sticky on this because, you know, you're saved by grace and not by works, Right? That's what scripture says. You're saved by grace and not by works. So by no works is a man made right. So we just believe by faith and have grace and we're all saved. Right? Like that's, so then when you get to this part where, then how do you deal with Jesus when he said, if you want to be a disciple of mine, you have to follow me. But like, how do you get past that? How do you get past this idea? And so I think the church is like, well, if you have these conversations about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and, and how, do you, how do you navigate all that? All of a sudden people are going to believe it's a works-based salvation. And how do you know if a person's doing enough? And how do you know if they're really following? And how do you measure all of that? So 
again, this is just the simple mind that I am. I don't even think about that. It was really simple. Jesus said, if you want to be a disciple of mine, follow me. If you want to be a disciple of mine, let the dead bury the dead. If you want to be a disciple of mine, put your hand to the plow and never look back. If you want to be a disciple of mine, the actions of your life should support it. And, 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 listen to me. (laughs) What we're getting ready to hear, I think sometimes is like, I don't know how this really fits me. But understand, inside of Scripture, Jesus is very clear. There will be people at the end of their life who will stand in front of Jesus Christ thinking that they're okay, and what will Jesus say to them? Away from me, you evildoer, because why? I don't know who you are. And people are going to be like, wait a second. I never heard that in church. Wait a second. Nobody said that in small group. Wait a second. Nobody discussed those types of things. So here's a catalyst. So it took a long time to get to this. Are you ready? This is the first one of the five catalysts. One of, if you want to have faith, unshakable faith, then you have to have practical teaching in your life. You have to have practical teaching. And we're going to understand this. Practical teaching isn't just having somebody up here who makes the Bible make sense, okay? We need to make sure that that's not what it means when we're saying practical teaching. Practical teaching, what we're getting ready to look at, means that not only does it make sense to you, but you, come on, do something with it. Come on, like we got to get on that same page, right? Like, Practical teaching isn't just being like, oh my gosh, I sit in a message today, and it was the first time that I ever understood anything. Thank the Lord, because the last place I thought they were talking in German, right? Or they were saying stuff that I never understood. I finally understand it. Now, <laughs> I'm not going to do anything, right? Like, I'm not going to change my life. But I got a whole notebook full of notes, right? Like, I got a whole notebook of it. You know, and I say to people all the time, like, you know, you're taking notes, how's it going? Well, I don't know. I just took the notes. Like, it was good in the moment. I'm not really doing anything with it. It's not really changing anything in my life. It's not affecting the way that I live. But, man, do I feel better because I'm finally in a church where I understand what the preacher's saying. Okay? So here's what we're going to do today. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 7. So we're going to be looking at... Uh, Matthew 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 28. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a history leading up to this. So, when you read your own Bible, which is what we're always encouraging you to do, right? So, you need to read your Bible. You need to be doing devotions. You need to be understanding what the Word of God says for yourself. One of the important things about reading the Bible is understanding the context that goes around it, right? So, when you read your Bible, you would have to understand contextually what's going on around it so that it all fits in and makes sense. So Matthew 7 was a part of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So remember last week when I said one of the reasons that Jesus came back is to help people understand truly who he was, who God was. So Jesus came back and said, if you want to know who God is, look at me. Like you can know who God is by looking at me. And he wanted to correct wrong teaching, right? Like you've heard it said, If you've ever read your Bible, this is what it, you've heard it said, but let me tell you, right, like this is what it says. So when Jesus came back, his first sermon, and maybe one of the ones that he preached all of the time was the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount was for this reason. We need to correct your view of what you thought 
being a follower meant or what believing in God meant, I'm going to flip it completely upside down. Right? And so just so you understand, the people that were reading this were like, that's not what we had heard at all. That's not what we understood at all. It's not where we were at all. So in the Sermon on the Mount, so in Matthew 7, I want to contextually give you some things that uh, you need to think about before we actually get into the text today. Okay, so when you look at Matthew 7, so if you don't have a Bible, I'll just tell you, because uh, it's not going to be up on the screen. So in Matthew 7, the first thing that it has in the beginning talks about judging others, right? Because we're getting ready to get to this place where I think if you really read the scripture for what it's worth, it's really going to hit you in the face. And our natural tendency is to look at the person beside you, being like, that sucker needed to hear that one, right? Like, you know, I don't know if you heard what this said or you, what you wrote in your notes was the person that you're going to talk to or pray for after this message, right? And so the first thing that he says is, is you need to understand this context of don't judge anyone until you learn your own self-reflection, right? You need to look in the mirror, look in your heart, and understand what's going on because what's getting ready to happen, you need to start with you, right? And you need to have some self-reflection. Then he goes on to this place, ask, seek, and knock. So he's saying, you know, there's going to be people out there. If we ask and we seek and we knock, Jesus isn't a person that gives a child a snake, but he gives them a loaf of bread. So if you're out there and you really want to know and you really want to understand, he says, listen, I'll give it to you. So he's starting off with this idea that, hey, I'll give you what you need. Then he goes on, you know, in it, and he says, then there is this narrow and wide gate, right? So anybody that hasn't heard this before, Jesus says this, you know, there's this way to get into heaven, right? And there's two gates, in it. And too many times people are on the wrong road leading to the wrong gate. So narrow is the road that leads to life. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. How many people are on the wide road? Come on, you can talk a little bit so just so I know you're still awake. How many people are on the wide road? Lots of people. Lots of people. How many people are on the narrow road? Few, right? Isn't that crazy to think about this? Wide is the road that, that leads to destruction, narrows the road that leads to life. But this is what he's getting ready to tell us. The people that are on the wide road think they're going in the right direction. That's why there's so many people on it. There's so many people on that wide road because they think they're heading in the right direction. But he says lots of people are going to be there. In fact, he said there's going to be true and false prophets. Right? There's going to be people out there, teachers, that are going to try to deceive you. Right? People that aren't going to give you practical, in-your-face teaching that are just going to teach in such a way to give you the wrong message. And this is just a warning to everybody. If you're Jesus is the preacher, you're going in the wrong direction. Right? True and false prophets that people believed blindly instead of getting into their own scripture and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? Like that's what he's saying. You can't believe in these true and false prophets. And then he says also, there are going to be, now think about this, true and false, does anybody have this heading in their Bible? Disciples. <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at this saying, so there are going to be people First of all, we got to remember, i got to look at myself, and I'm, and I'm taking a true look, self-examining, understanding where I'm at. 
And one of the things that I have to understand is if I really am a true disciple, well, what's that supposed to mean? I thought all I had to do when I was in church one time, they said all you have to do is raise your hand and say a prayer and walk to the front and fill out a card. And then they put up on the screen, thousand people were saved. And I thought it was good, right? And again, when I say this, you know, because every time I give this message, people come up to me afterwards and they'd be like, well, you made it sound like when I walked to the front and signed a card that I really wasn't saved. That's not what I'm telling you, right? I'm just telling you there is a reality inside of this world where people think that they are saved and they're really not. I don't know what your experience is, but Scripture tells us that that is an experience that people are having. So now I have to look at myself and I have to understand, am I a true disciple? So that today, from a practical teaching standpoint, here's as practical as it gets. Jesus is getting ready to lay out for you, are you a true disciple or a false disciple, and better to know now before it's too late. I mean, how much more practical does it get? Right? I mean, I, if you're sitting here listening to this day today and you're kind of sitting back like, I don't know if this is, you know, really for me, I'm telling you, better listen today because at some point, this is what you're going to get, you're going to see here in a second. Someday, your faith will be tested. Here's my hope. I'll give you a little glimpse into the end. My hope is it's here on this earth. I hope that your faith is revealed before it's too late. Because once you're up there and your, your faith is tested and it's found to not be good, there's not like an easy button. Be like, hey, can I do that one over? <laughs> Do you get another chance? Is there, like, can you send me back for just a moment and I'll try again and we'll start over and see if it works? So here's what Jesus does. Now, again, this is a parable, so we're going to look at. So this is Matthew 7, 24 through 28. And remember, who is this message for? This is not for somebody who's not a believer. This is not for somebody that's, you know, uh, doesn't believe in God at all. This isn't some, for somebody that's searching. You know what it's for? People who have called themselves Christian people that better take an opportunity to evaluate yourself to make sure you're good. Right? That's who this message is for, is to evaluate your faith from this perspective. All right. So Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, a message that you've probably either sang in Sunday school, if you've been in church long enough, you've sang this song, you know, the wise and foolish builder. They built their house upon a Yes, all the the people that I know that have been in church for a while are going like, they're starting to hum right now. (laughs) But anyway, so if you haven't, this is a very popular thing that you're taught in Sunday school for a really long time. The unfortunate part is, I don't know that we always knew how to apply it to our own life and what we need to do with it. So verse 24 says this, Therefore, because, remember what therefore is? Because you knew all of the information before. So now that you know that you shouldn't be judging others and this message is for you, now that you know that if you ask that you will get, and now that you know that there is a wide gate and a narrow gate, and now that you know that there's such a thing as false prophets and true prophets, and you know that there's false disciples and true disciples, now that you know all of that, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But, so this, that's one circle of people. Here's the next. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Okay. In context, two groups of people, right? One group of people that are called foolish, one group of people that are called wise. Called wise. The ones that are called foolish are the people that he would say, very simply, that they built their house upon a sand, the winds blew, their, their, their uh, house crashed, and again, they were in bad shape. The people that boiled it on the rock, the winds came, and they were in good shape. Like, that should just be simple, right? Like, we look at that and we all say, well, that should be simple. But put it in contextually what he's talking about. The crash of somebody isn't just like this unfortunate, your window broke in your house and now there's rain coming in, right? This isn't that we have hail damage and somebody has to fix the roof, right? This is in context of what he's saying in this is for those whose foundation was not right and the wind came and their house crashed, they would fall into the category of people that were on which road? Wide road. They would fall in the category of people who were true disciples or false disciples? False disciples, right? Falling in, see, I think when I would read this and be like, oh, dang, my, like I built this sandcastle and, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody on the beach came and you worked all week on it and somebody smashed it. Well, I'll just build it again, Right? And I think what we think is like, oh, bummer, you know, the storm came, and yeah, I was interrupted a little bit in my faith, but I'm just going to go back and work hard again, and then I'm just going to build it back up again, right? But you keep building it on the same thing, right? The sand, right? We miss the point that this isn't about necessarily, you know, re-erecting the building, and it's just harder because your building crashed, and now you have to build it again, right? We have to look at what, what was actually being said, uh, talked about in here. So... Here's what we want to look at. Are you ready? So there were some similarities, right? The similarities were this. Don't, don't miss this. They both heard the word, right? So this is a, you're in a message, right? And, and you're in church, and everybody heard the message, right? So you remember how we're talking about practical teaching? So I heard a message. I even took notes, right? And I wrote this down. And now, now think about this. And they now are acting upon, to a certain extent, think about this, they went out and they did what? So this is the other thing that was similar. They heard, and then what did they do? They both, they built a house, right? So they both took it and they looked at it and they said, ah, oh, hey, this makes some sense. I'm going to go out and I'm going to build a house with this idea of, or we'll put it in context of what we're talking about. So they both would have said at that point, I heard the word, and now I have this house that I can depend on, which is the salvation or I'm right with God or things are right. Both from the outside look right. That's what else is similar. If you were looking from the outside, would anybody be able to tell the difference of whether or not the foundation was right? Like when you drive up and down those additions where all the houses are the same, right, and you look at them, like you wouldn't know any difference in whether the foundation was different or right or not, right? Right? Well, the same concept is, so when we look across this room, 
You look across and you watch people, people that raise their hands and people that don't raise their hands and people take notes and people who don't take notes and, and people who come to church and people that, you know, don't come to church all the time. But on the outside, people heard the word and to a person, they would look at them and they would say, I see Roger, Roger must be a Christian. Why? Because the outward things that Roger's doing in my mind equate to being a Come on, this is, come on, right. Means he's a Christian, right? Like, why? Because I see him doing all these things. But do you remember that, like, go back in context where it said that there are people who will stand in front of me and will say, I did this and this and this and this, and I did it in your name, and then Jesus will still say, I don't know you, right? So the idea is you could look on the outside of every single person and you could say, because of these outward acts of things that they do, remember when I was saying, like us showing up today, and I don't mean this in a bad way, and I am generalizing things, so don't take it, you know, too personal, but it didn't take much faith for you to end up here today, right? It doesn't take much faith Tad has a Bible study on Monday nights. It doesn't take much faith for us to go there, especially when John Heupel's cooking, right? Because the food's good, you know? So if you want to come and you want to get good food, it doesn't take much faith to show up. I mean, it takes a little bit of time. Like, it might be a little bit of an inconvenience, but it doesn't really take a lot of faith. So you see where I'm going with this? On the outside, right? On the outside, we as Christian people do religious activity that don't necessarily take faith, but we chalk it up to, well, I, you know, because I'm a believer, these are the things that I do, right? And so what he wants to be able to do is then get to, so what are the differences, right? So what are the differences? If the similarities are that you hear it, right, and that, that um, they start to build their house, the difference, and there was only one difference, what was it? The foundation, right? So the only difference in the two people was the foundation that they build on. Now, think about it in this way, right? So I'll try to get through this really quick. But so the foundation, one was built on rock and one was built on sand, okay? So I know you can't understand this. At least I couldn't understand it because, number one, I'm not a builder. And number two, I wouldn't understand, like, there's no sand. Well, there might be sand in Indiana, but it's not where I live. Right, so, there, so when I think about this idea of where am I going to build my house, I don't have to look at this beach and be like, well, maybe they're there. For them, most of what they saw was sand, okay? And so for the guy that built his foundation on a rock, he had to dig first through the sand, right? Why would anybody do that? Because you can build a house on sand, it's proof. We just saw that in the similarities, right? You can build a house on sand. And in fact, it's easier than building a house on rock, right? So why would anybody build their house on the rock? If you're not, again, think about it this way. If you're not a builder and you don't understand foundations, why would you dig through all the sand, put in all the work, and make all that happen? Why would you do it? Because you trust the person that told you to do it, and you do it out of obedience, not out of understanding. Right? 
You do it even though it's going to take you longer, even though it's harder, even though it's going to cost you more to be able to do it. Why do you do it? Because the person that you trust the most, that you put in, in charge of or, or your faith in, is telling you to do it, so you're going to do it. That's why it says the wise man is a person that hears the word of God and, and does it. You know how crazy it is? I want you to think about this for a second. Um, people have died for you to be able to have this. In fact, when I was over in India working with a pastor, we had these uh, Quest study Bibles. And he had never seen a Quest study Bible before. And, I, and when I was there and I left, I gave it to him and he weeped because they didn't have access to all of that. They couldn't have the teaching that we have. People have died for this, yet we read it like it's a bunch of suggestions. You read it like your self-help manual, right? You read it as it's like Dave Ramsey's advice on, you know, whether or not you should, you know, get into the, the, the debt snowball and how you're going to get out of debt. Like you read it and it's some, you know, good practical teaching, but if I don't do it at the end of the day and I'm in debt, does it doesn't really matter, you know. Inside of this scripture, he's... <laughs> I don't even know how to be more practical than this. He says people's salvation is played out because they do what God asked them to do. And why would you? Because do you realize if you read this sucker how hard it is to live by faith? I mean, do you realize the things that it asks you to do? You know, that whole idea when we we're going through the sex, love, and dating, do you know how hard it is to live by those principles today? And so why would you, right? I've heard a lot of people after that series, everybody's like, well, why would I do that? I don't know, because he says to, and he says if you're saved and you're a Christian, that you will do what it tells you to do, right? Like, I don't, how do you want me to explain it to you? I don't know how to explain it to you. I only know that he says, this is how you're supposed to live, and I want to be careful when I say this because I don't want to lead you in the wrong direction. But if you don't, if you are only a hearer of the word, right, you are then like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And here's what we know. Why did he build his house upon the sand? Because selfishly, it was the easiest thing to do. It was the quickest thing to do. And it gave the quickest result, and everybody looked at it and said, wow, look at that person. And that's why I, <laughs> so I want to be careful, but I also want to be real with you today, okay? You can come to church, and you can take notes, and you can sing songs, and you can go to Bible studies, and you can learn more about Scripture, and still be the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Because knowing and believing and not doing, Scripture tells us is, and you are not, I mean, I know, I know you don't want to say this because it's going to go into this whole theological discussion. He would say, you're on the wide road, you're a false disciple, you're, you're doing all this religious activity, but you're doing nothing with it. And I hate to tell this to you, but at the end of the day, your foundation, and this is what's next, your foundation is going to get tested, okay? So when the band comes back up, 
I want to give you this thought because you know what else is next? Wise man, so they had similarities. What was different is the foundation. The guy that was a wise man dug through, did everything that made zero sense when it came to building a house in the minds of the people. He dug all the way through the sand. He built his house upon the rock. The foolish man, right? So the foolish man was like, oh, I hear it too. I want to do what's easy. I want to get instant results. I want people to look at me and be like, wow, look, look at his house, everything he did. But here's the thing that I think Jesus puts in, and I think we have to not miss this, but both houses were tested. Both houses. Both houses had the same storm that came in to test the house, right? And there wasn't like, oh, well, the one on the sand just didn't fare very well. What happened to the one on the sand? It crashed, demolished, devastated, gone. There was no more house, right? Here's what we have to understand. There is a test coming for your faith. There's a test. Some of you have experienced that test on this earth, right? Some of you have come to places in your life where whether it's your, your marriage or whether it's your kids or whether or not it's your finances or whether or not it's a diagnosis or whether or not it's like you could just fill in the blank of things that have tested your faith, right? Like things that came along that were like, oh, man, this is not, does anybody ever think this or have you ever thought this? This is not the way life was supposed to turn out. Anybody ever been there? Like it wasn't supposed to go this way right? These things weren't supposed to happen. I had a dream and I had a thought and I had a house and it was all supposed to be, you know, easy going and things are going to be right. And then all of a sudden something happens and you go back. And, and again, I think all of us, including me, have done this. God, wait a second. Are you really the God that allowed this to happen? Are you really the God that's going to put me and allow me to be in this situation? Because I don't like where I am. Anybody? I don't like where my kids are. I don't like the situation we're in. I don't like the diagnosis that I got. But at the end of the day, faith, maybe on this earth, will be tested. And here's what you're going to know if you haven't been there. If you built your house on the sand, did what was easy, you, like many people, house will come crashing down, you will blame God, and you will walk away. Because that's what happens. Right? Because at the end of the day, we all know, if you have unshakable faith, this is what you're going to realize. I can't figure out the circumstances of my life, and I don't even know why these things are happening to me, but I do know this. I trust the one who has let it filter through his hands, regardless of what's happened right now. I'm not going to be able to explain it. I'm not going to be able to put it together. I'll never be able to even explain it on this side of eternity. But someday in eternity, when my faith is tested, I will stand in front of Jesus and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you who were tested built your house upon the rock and put your anchor in the only thing that won't move, right? And you have unshakable faith. And that's what we all want. This piece of life right now, it's like a breath. And in this life, 
we have an opportunity, and this is my prayer for all of you, we have an opportunity to know where we stand. I hope for all of us today, you will examine yourself and see where you stand. Because you know what the other problem is? The other problem is if your faith isn't tested on this earth and you don't use it as a time of self-examination, do you know in 2 Corinthians 5.10 it says, you will stand in front of the judgment seat, right? And you will be judged. Did you have the right, it's not about these things, but did you have the right foundation? Some will and some won't. But then it is way too late. And there's nothing that you can do about it. And so instead of trying to figure out like, I don't know how to make this work, faith and works, and I know we're not saved by works, and I know faith, I'll just give you, here's my application. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Every single time you hear a message or you read the word of God, here's what you should be asking yourself. What is God saying to me? So today, when you walk out of here, this isn't what God should be saying to your children or what he should be saying to your spouse or what he should be saying to somebody else. What is he saying to me? What do I need to hear today, right? And this is the other part of it. What do I need to do? Because I cannot just hear and do nothing about it. People who are believers on a foundation of rock hear and do no matter, now listen to me, no matter the cost. Because having faith will cost you something. And when he asks you to do something, it's usually something that's going to stretch you going to challenge you, going to be something you wouldn't normally do. Why? Because he wants you to experience on the other side of that decision, the faithfulness of God. And can I tell you, like, I want to tell you this. I have been at times in my life in the beginning over here, and I don't want to make this decision, and I don't want the cost, and I don't know what's going to happen at the end. But once I finally took that step, and I said, you know what? I'm going to make this decision. On the other side of that decision, the faithfulness of God, I could never go back living selfishly. I could never go back to being like, you want me to do, and I think it's gonna cost me too much, because on this side of those decisions, living in the presence of God and understanding his faithfulness will be what gets you through a crazy world that makes zero sense, right? And that's where all of us need to be. And so that's what I want one of your faith catalysts to be here and do. Will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, when we come to you today, thank you first of all for being our rock and our anchor, the thing that we can tie ourselves to that we know will never move. Thank you for the challenge that we see inside of Scripture, the reminder that first of all, before we look at anybody's life, we need to look at our own. Thanks for the reminder that one of Satan's greatest weapons is deception. Deceiving us into believing something that is really not true. Trying to get us to live in this this isolation and seclusion and this deception until the time that it's too late. Lord, I pray today that the scales will fall off of all of our eyes and that we will look at ourselves through the lens in which you do. And Lord, I'm thankful that you gave us this illustration of the wise and foolish builder. May each one of us be not just hearers of the word, 
but may we be doers of the word regardless of the cost. May we understand that this catalyst of of being a doer of the word and not just here, on the other side of that is you. And that's what we all want, deeper relationship with you. May this catalyst of practical teaching move us into that direction. May none of us be deceived that hearing is enough, but let us be doers of the word. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray.
You know, one of the things that I was thinking about during that song is, you know, we're thinking about these two houses and one collapsed and one stood. But for me, this is the picture that God gave me. It's not just a house that will withstand a storm, but it's a fortress in which our God is with us. And it might shake, and the windows might crack, and the things, you know, might get crazy on the outside. But this home built on a rock, this home as a son and daughter of God is also a fortress that we can shelter in, that he and the chaos of the world can take care of each one of us. So that's what we want for all of us in this room, to be doers of the word in the fortress of his house and allow him to use us in amazing ways. So thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for joining us online, and we'll see you guys next week.